0: Welcome to Love Notes from a Soul Coach, the podcast where we don't shy away from the difficult topics. We dive deep and explore what it means to genuinely, authentically heal. I'm your host, Mary, and if you're ready, let's jump into today's show. Hello, friends. I've been keeping notes of things I want to share with you on the show that might be meaningful or relatable, and one of them is about something I refer to as spiritual anemia. It's when the ever-compelling to-dos of my human existence eclipse the quieter needs of my soul, and I find myself vacuuming my yoga mat on my way to stretching out and meditating on it, and then In the process of vacuuming, I notice the wastebasket under my desk needs to be emptied. And then before you know it, the morning is gone and I have a clean house, but a messy head and I'm riding that momentum of doing, 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 doing with very little being. I can get away with this for a certain amount of time, but it always catches up. And this is what it feels like when it catches up, maybe you can relate. I start to feel agitated and emotionally dysregulated in this hard to pinpoint way. Things just bother me. I feel the absence of peace, which then becomes this subtle, upsetting dissatisfaction that kind of runs through everything. And I find that part particularly interesting because these tangents that I go down sometimes that create the spiritual anemia in the first place, they are super satisfying in the beginning. It feels so good to check the boxes because it makes us feel like we're winning the battle against time that most of us are engaged in unconsciously the majority of our lives. The idea is, if I can get all my tasks done, I'm ahead of the giant snowball that's rolling down the hill toward me. I can't enjoy my life unless I get ahead of the snowball. Otherwise, the pressure of knowing it's hurtling toward me is too much. But of course, that snowball is imaginary. It's a figment of our egos. It's a story that they tell us if you can just run fast enough, get everything done, you'll win. You'll be happy. It's that whole paradigm of i'll be happy when conditional happiness, conditional peace. These are the real thieves of our contentment, not being behind on our to-do list, not the circumstances of our lives but how we're relating to the circumstances of our lives. So when I go amnesic about all of this, and I find myself devoting myself to too many things that are of the ego and not of the soul, it's like going too long on junk food. I crash. I feel the anemia. And I'm grateful that I can feel it. I actually think that being able to feel and notice my suffering is a big reason why I care so much about living with mindfulness in my life. When I notice I've lost the balance, then I have a fighting chance of bringing the balance back into place. If we don't have a relationship with the baseline of our lives, how can we tell when we've drifted away from it? So this past week, I've been trying to course correct because I got knocked off my normal routine pretty massively at the beginning of June when my oldest child graduated and came back home with her 12,000 boxes and bags of dirty clothes and that sweet, wild wind of summer vacation that rolled in along with her that I always get swept up in no matter how old I am I always get excited at the end of May anticipating something that actually does not apply to my life, but I still get swept up in it. But at the same time, as many of you know, because I talk about it a lot, when you love what you do, you don't hunger for vacations. Every day holds the balance of feeding you in these two important ways. You're fed during the times you're engaged wholeheartedly in your work, and also in the down times when you're refilling the well. I don't need to go away to recharge because I've cultivated a life I don't feel the urge to run away from, and that's the truth. I, I had that life that I needed to run away from when I was married and running a company and a totally overwhelming household and raising small children, and then that life collapsed. And the one I've built in its wake is not that model at all. It's not the binge and purge life. You know, cram everything in and then run away so you can exhale and then come back and resent the fullness as it grows again. Every day for me is hard work time and vacation time inside of each day. And I highly recommend living this way. Stockpiling is risky delaying your joy is risky instead of looking at how many vacation days you can score or save up in a work year what about asking how can I weave the energy of vacation into my regular work days could I read a passage of a book or a magazine article in the sun for 15 minutes between things could I keep a yoga mat by my desk And build in time for deep stretching and reconnecting with my body in the midst of my day. Probably the biggest reset activity I do every day that keeps me regulated and healthy is being with my dogs. When I'm with my dogs, I'm in that vacation energy. When I'm on a dog walk with them in the morning or pressing my forehead to their foreheads or getting their kisses or giving them belly scratches... I'll make a conscious mental note. I'll tell myself, this is what really matters in life. This might be the most important thing I do today. Because those little moments, those little moments of pure magic, pure connectedness, they pass so quickly. And when I take the time to really mark them in my own mind, I can appreciate how wealthy I am. I'm wealthy in love. So many of us are. When my daughter was 14, she was accepted into a prestigious program for painting, and she wound up going to high school out of state at a boarding school for the arts. And I was so caught up in feeling overjoyed for her and then navigating the logistics of making it work. And then when it was time to start school, the logistics of actually moving her into the dorms that I neglected to carve time for processing how I felt about all of this. I was literally in denial about the fact that my firstborn child was essentially going to college four years prematurely. This is the thing about growing up with neglect. When we've grown up neglected, we tend to neglect ourselves. It's what we know. And it comes up in little and big ways. For me, I struggle to anticipate. What I'm going to need sometimes, especially with really big life event stuff, I tend to underestimate the impact something is going to have on me. Or I'll find that my expectations about how I'm going to handle something can be way out of alignment. Like I'll focus on the executive function side without leaving enough room for the wilder emotional part. As if emotions are negotiable and we can just put them off for a more convenient time. It's been lifelong work for me on this front, if I'm being honest. I still come up against this wound of self-neglect more often than I'd like to admit. So when my daughter left for high school, it was hard. And then, of course, that spring COVID hit, and she came home again, and that was hard too. And then she went back the following spring, and that was a relief that she could go back and try to wrestle some kind of normal experience out of the wreckage that had become her high school journey. Then she got COVID and had to come home. Then she went back and got it again a short time later and had to come home again. And by the time she graduated earlier this month, it's just been a relief, you know, that this chapter is closing and we cut our teeth together, learning how to be apart learning how to be together again without always knowing how long or what to count on. The muscle of letting her go over and over again has become developed in me in ways I never thought I would be strong enough to develop. I mean, this is a child who didn't walk until she was 15 months old. And when I brought her to the pediatrician because I was worried, he asked in his thick French sarcastic accent if I ever put her down. And the truth was, rarely, I rarely put her down. I carried her everywhere. My daughter was my baby kangaroo when she was little. She was an appendage. So the whole separation process has been hard for both of us in different ways. And I'm incredibly proud of her, of the person she's grown into, the person who was always in there, the way the whole oak tree exists, as a potentiality inside the acorn. And it is still hard letting go of her, but I'm better at it. Not just because life has given me so many opportunities to develop the muscle of letting go of her, but because I've been able to identify where that wound of self-neglect shows up. And I've made it a bigger priority in my life to support myself when I'm going through the struggle of handing her back to her own path. I have a more generous threshold within myself for the feelings that can kick up, the sadness, the tones of abandonment, the worry, the insecurity. There are no quote unquote solutions for these kinds of uncomfortable, often painful feelings. There's just the medicine of giving them space acknowledging them, letting them be real instead of insisting they go away or nailing a smiley face to them. So now my daughter is heading to college in Chicago and I'm not freaking out. I'm feeling mostly joyful and mostly excited for her. I helped her last week to sift through the volcanic eruption of stuff in her room And then we looked at dates, and we bought a one-way ticket to Chicago for her later in the summer, which made me think, when was the last time you bought a one-way ticket somewhere? It felt like a moment from a country song. I've only bought a one-way ticket once in my life. It was to California to meet up with the person who would one day become my husband and my business partner and the father of my children, I was living in New York, and he was living in California. The dot-com bubble had burst. We decided to try living on my coast, and we decided that I would fly to San Francisco, and we would drive across the country with his stuff instead of shipping it. It was the beginning of a longer journey, and it was the last time in my life I would find myself with the kind of freedom and circumstances to afford me an adventure like that. I think I'm always living vicariously through my kids to some extent. And I don't mean that in a sad or scarce way. I mean, there's only so much I can accomplish in my life and I recognize it. But they carry the baton forward. I heard that when butterflies migrate crazy long distances, it's not one single group or kaleidoscope, as butterfly swarms are called. Isn't that a great name for them? It's not one single kaleidoscope migrating on their own. It's waves of generations of butterflies that make the trip. They move across distances one overlapping generation at a time. That's how they get from one place to another. There are things we won't be able to accomplish on our own in this life. But there are ways our work carries on beyond us not just our work, our love. I know that what my children accomplish is not just tethered to who they are in isolation. It grows out of the love that is their essence, the love that brought them here, the same love that manifested every single one of us, the same love we're connected to right now, the love we are never separate from. Don't wait for an occasion or a vacation, to drop down onto that frequency. Insist on it regularly throughout your days. It's right here. Like the air we breathe, it's all around us, sustaining us even as we look past it, even as we struggle to recognize it. It's right here, right now. Thanks for spending the time with me today. And if you heard something that resonated, Please consider liking, subscribing, and sharing this podcast so it can find its way to other ears out there. To learn more about my work and my latest offerings, visit me at Marywelch.com or on Instagram at MarywelchOfficial. Till next time, friends.